Wow. Good morning, family. Well, whether you're here, right here at the Bethel campus or at one of our amazing satellite campuses in New Milford, Derby, and Waterbury, we want to welcome you here this morning as well. And if you are tuning in this morning online after having a stack of five pancakes, or maybe you're on your second cup of coffee sitting on that front porch, or maybe you're on your way to, or you're at vacation, and you're trying to tune in with screaming kids in the background, we welcome you too. Wherever you may be this morning, we are currently on the fifth week of the By Faith series where we look at various men and, and women in the Bible who live lives marked by tremendous faith. And last week, we looked at Rahab. This week, we look at the life, next week, we look at the life of Joseph, which I'm, I'm really excited, by the way. And this morning, this morning, you and I, Online and I, we're going to take a moment to look at the exemplary life of Jochebed, Shifra, and Pua. Well, there you go. For those of you who are maybe expecting a baby soon and you need ideas for baby names, I just gave you three of them. You're welcome. <laughs> and if you're not too fond of those, which um, I'm not going to give my opinion, we also got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming up in a few weeks, so you're welcome. Gave you six name ideas. My name is Brian. Yes, another Brian on staff, this time with a Y. And I pastor the best I can at the Waterbury campus. I came on staff here in January of the year 2021, right in the middle of the pandemic. And man, it's been, it's been quite a ride so far. A good ride, but a ride. I'm thoroughly blessed. I'm honored to be able to, to bring the word of God here this morning. Amen? Amen. But I got to tell you, I, I just feel so unqualified. Like, I, I, I'm reminded of the passage in Jeremiah. Remember? Where God's like, Jeremiah, and he's like this 15-year-old boy. Jeremiah, you're going to go speak to a nation that just will never listen to you. And Jeremiah's like, what? And, I, and, and I'm so young, you know? I'm, I, I feel so honored to be here. I feel so blessed to be here. But I believe this. I believe that God has a message for you and I. Do y'all believe that? Amen, amen. And so what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is this. It's very simple. I want you to anticipate. Anticipate that the Spirit is going to move this morning. Not just wonder. This is the God that split the Red Sea. This is the God that called many women to do tremendous things. And that God, who is the same yesterday and today, he is here with us today and will be with us tomorrow. So with that said, we can anticipate the movement of the Spirit to do greater and bigger things than we could ever imagine. And our wonderful special needs community just read our scripture passage just moments ago. So a big shout out to them. And to give us a little bit of context here, to give us a little bit of context here, we're in Egypt. I know we're in Walnut Hill building. But in the Bible, this morning, 
We are in Egypt. So why are we in Egypt? I'm glad you asked. We're in Egypt because if you'll remember, if you'll recall, Joseph, who we're going to look at next week, Joseph died there at the good old age of 110 in 1805. Joseph was the brother. Remember? He was the brother that was sold into slavery and became this powerful figure in Egypt, restored his family after some drama. Let's just call it drama, right? And all of his relatives continued to live here in Egypt for generations upon generations. If you want to know more details about the story of Joseph and just kind of like why we're here this morning in Egypt, I want to um, really encourage you to come back next week. Come back next week. Tune in next week. Go to one of the campuses next week because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna find out. And I, I'm, I'm excited to, to find out. I, I've read the story over and over again, but every time I open up the Word of God, I'm just like, what do you got today? Right? Like, I love watching, re-watching movies, good ones. I know it's going to happen, but I'm excited. So I'm, like, I'm anticipating that the Lord's going to do something exciting this morning. Until then, until we get here next week, I would encourage you to spend some time in Genesis chapters 37 through 50 to kind of get some background here as well. Now, here's the thing, though. When you end the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, this is what I love. I love that when Joseph is about to die, he is on his deathbed, and he calls in his brothers. He said, I got, I got more things to tell you. He said, so he calls him in, kind of huddles him in over him. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 25, Joseph makes his brothers swear an oath. That's the last chapter of Genesis, right? He says this, Joseph says this, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. That's what he said. Did y'all did hear that? When God comes to help you, and to lead you back home. Take my bones. Now, Joseph is just moments away from taking his last breath. And he absolutely believes that though there are speed bumps ahead, though things will get rough, God will deliver them. Amen. amen. Can I hear an amen? amen? God will deliver them. It's not an if God, no, God will. When it happens, bring my bones. Why? Because God says so. And God cannot lie. God says so. Things are about to they'll get a little bit worse, yeah? Get a little bit worse before they get better. But there is nothing to worry about. Not for the brothers, not for the story that we're about to read, and not for you. Why? Because God stays true to his promise. When he makes a promise, his yes means yes and his no means no. All the time, 100%. We can rest assured in that. Now, so, so Joseph just reminds them that when God does deliver them and to bring them back home, just to make sure that he bring, they bring back the bones. He wants to go home. He wants to be buried with his ancestors. All right, now. Now we open up into the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. Right? We just read that passage. So what do we got here? We got a nation. We got a nation of Israel multiplying in great numbers. We also got this, this new king of Egypt who knew of 
absolutely nothing about Joseph and all that he did, all the tremendous things that he did. All this king knew was that these Hebrew people are getting too large a number, and, and that's bothering him. He's getting a, a little bit frustrated. He's getting a little bit anxious. He doesn't like it one bit. And this king, he gets a little anxious and becomes determined, determined to put an end to this growing population of, shall I say it, foreigners. He, does, he doesn't want them to grow too big or he'll be outnumbered. He'll be outnumbered. And if the, if, if, if the war breaks out, then they're going to join the ranks of the enemies and fight against them and win. And that's not a good thing for him. So he's like, I got, I got to do something about that. But here's the thing, guys. What, what he doesn't know, what Pharaoh boy doesn't know, is that he is about to fight against God himself. He is about to take on the creator of the world himself. This is what, this is what he does. He enslaves them. Pharaoh enslaves them. He makes their life absolutely miserable. He is brutal towards them. He installs brutal slave drivers over them in the hope that they will wear them down with crushing labor. But again, he doesn't realize that behind the scenes, he is fighting against God. That's a bold move. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a bold move. That's a bold move. You see, God told Abraham that, that his descendants will become as numerous as the stars in the sky. And in choosing Abraham that Pastor Craig just talked about a couple weeks ago, God promised that a redeemer will flow from him and through the lineage forward. And just when it seems like the plan is just coming apart, God comes through. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like life is coming apart? And I know sometimes that happens for me. Right? But if God is for you, who can be against you? Right? God will carry you through this mess. And it's not going to last. God has bigger plans for you. He does. Just like for these people here. He comes through and he says, I got you. Don't you ever forget that. I got you. That's the entirety of the Old Testament. A tracing of the lineage of, from, from where Jesus comes from. Right? That's, the, that's the entirety of the whole 29 books of the, of the Bible, of 39 books of the Old Testament. It's the promised redeemer. And then we have Satan constantly trying to throw a wrench at the plans. But here's one thing to know, though. The enemy will always oppose the plan of God. And he actively works against the plans of God through people like Pharaoh. That's what's happening here. It's not just a story that, that stands alone. No, it's another attempt at thwarting the plans of God. And though that we're still just building up into our looking at the context moment before we even get into the story here, we already have our first takeaway point this morning. That's number one. Number one says this, when God makes a move, the enemy 
will make a move. But ultimately, ultimately, God says, checkmate. Turn to your neighbor and say, checkmate. That's how the story ends. He's not going to win. There's nothing to worry about. It's checkmate all along. And over and over again throughout the pages of the Bible, the enemy just keeps on shouting, rematch. Rematch. I want to do this again. And every time the enemy devises a new strategy, God is always saying what? Checkmate. You see, Satan is on borrowed time. The enemy is on borrowed time, and he knows that his time is almost up. His first series of battles was a series of strategies to block this promised redeemer. And then he, then he failed at all attempts throughout the whole, all the pages of the 39 books of the Old Testament. Satan fails. He fails because Jesus comes on the scene. And in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, he completely disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities by being crucified and then what? Resurrecting from the dead. There is no rival. There is no rival. And right now, Satan, the enemy, though he knows that he's ultimately lost, he's doing everything that he can to this day. Everything that he can. Everything that he can to prevent the message of hope from spreading. He's doing everything that he can. He's doing everything that he can to crush and to silence the message. Let me, I got this little timer right here. You see this timer? It's an old-fashioned timer. I'm going to flip it upside down. Take a look at this. This is in Satan's face all day long. He's on borrowed time. Because one day... It's going to be time out when Jesus comes back. One day, this is all going to be gone. And the king of glory is going to be coming riding on a horse. He's going to put an end to his games, an end to his all the suffering that we have and all the pain and all the tears that we have. He's on borrowed time here. He's on borrowed time here. No matter what the enemy does, no matter what the enemy does to try and to thwart the plans of God, whether in this story or in your life, the enemy will ultimately fail. And he will keep on failing because though the enemy seems stronger than you and I, God is stronger than the enemy. And we have God on our side. And I find it interesting that the more that the Pharaoh tries to oppress the, the Hebrews, right? Guess what? They multiply more. You can't stop the plan. They multiply more. You see, that's how our God works. When the enemy tries to crush the movement of God, tries to crush the church of God, tries to crush the people of God, it only spreads, it only grows. No matter how many times people have tried to stamp out the word of God, no matter how many times the enemy has tried to kill missionaries, no matter how many times the enemy tried to, to slay the plans of God, it not only doesn't work, but it actually strengthens his people and validates who God says he is. 
If you're in the front row, if you want to take out the glasses found underneath your seat, you put them on. I'm going to put mine on right here, okay? I'm going to come into my little box right here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate this for you. You've seen this watermelon. What happens if I, if I just, if I drop it? What do you think is going to happen? The enemy is always constantly trying to come into your life and to bust things apart. The enemy is always trying to silence the church, trying to thwart the plans of God. But every time the enemy does it, every time that the Pharaoh does it, every time he, he installs brutal slave drivers over them, guess what? Sure. What the enemy doesn't know, though, that he can smell, I'm sorry. It's a bigger mess than I thought it was going to be. Should have extended the carpet back there. But even though the enemy does this, what the enemy doesn't know is that the watermelon seeds spread. Try to crush the church. Try to thwart the plans of God. Try to do that. And it's still going to make more watermelon patches. It's just going to make the word of God spread even more. And we can have faith in that. Now, we now return back to the story. And we get to our specific passage that we're working on. When Pharaoh realizes that his plan of brutally treating the Israelites isn't working. He calls in Shipra and Pua. These were the Hebrew midwives and most likely were in charge of a multitude of midwives since there were so many people, right? Pharaoh says this to them, when you see a Hebrew boy, kill him. And of course, that's my own paraphrasing, but this is what indeed Pharaoh is demanding. He is ordering the slaughtering of every little precious boy. And in the text, guess what it says? It says this, but because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. Because they feared God, they put their belief into action by defying Pharaoh's orders. That's faith. That's faith. When I read this passage, I'm also reminded of another passage in the book of Acts where Peter says, no, I must obey God rather than any human authority. Right now, I know that when, when we look at that, when we read about that, it can, it can get a little bit tricky, and I, I understand that. But it leads us to our second point this morning. And it's this. It'll be right up on the screen. It says, number two, it is this. It is always the right time to do the right thing. And the right thing is that when the commands of God come into conflict with the demands of human authority, we must obey God. We see this happening all the time, don't we? We see the underground church flourishing and Bibles being smuggled in despite all of this going against the laws of the land. For the Hebrew midwives, they had to make a choice in this story. They had to make a choice. Pharaoh gave orders to take a life, but the midwife decided to preserve a life. They were for life just as God is for life. The midwife decided to do the right thing, the brave thing, the courageous thing. And in doing so, 
In doing so, Pharaoh found out. And when he approached the midwives about this matter, they said that the, the Hebrew women, did you, they ain't like the Egyptian women. We were on our way to do our thing and like a boom, baby. Couldn't even do our job. They so fast, they so vigorous, they so quick. They get the job done. We just didn't arrive in time. I don't want to tell you, Pharaoh. And notice that the passage tells us that God was good to the midwives. God honors faith. The Israelites grew even more, not only just in population, but in strength. It says that God even gave the midwife families of their own. Praise God. Why? Because they feared God. They had faith. They believe in who God is, but they put that belief into action, which is faith. But before we move on, let's just maybe address the obvious here. The midwives were for life, women of faith. They were for life, women of faith. And God is too. He always has been, and he always will be. But what does this mean? After taking some time to really reflect on this, to be for life back then, and to be for life today, and to stand for life tomorrow, means that we, you and I honor the image of God in all walks of life from the womb to the tomb. To be for life, which is what we are here at Walnut Hill, means this. We show up at the food pantry so that a family doesn't go hungry that week. Praise God. We explore what it means to be foster and adoptive parents because we want a child to experience true life. We serve in the special needs ministry because they too are precious image bearers of God. We visit the elderly in nursing homes so that they don't become lonely. We dignify every individual, no matter the color of their skin or their gender or age or religion. We see how we can be a part of the church in action, which we have every March, because we believe that Jesus died and resurrected for every single soul walking this planet. We ensure, we ensure that no one is mistreated because of how they look or how they think or how they behave or how, what they believe. We dignify them. And this only scratches the surface of what it means to be pro-life, to be for life, to stand up and say, I am for life. It's a womb to the tomb. It's not one single issue. We are committed to become a part of the solution to ensure that every single individual has access to the blessings of God. The Hebrew midwives were women of faith when they knew that everything was at stake. Everything was at stake. You see, there are going to be moments in your life when God calls you to be faithful. And it may be super uncomfortable. Your friends may say one thing, but God says another. Your family or work may say one thing, but God says another. Society may say one thing, but God says another. And as the story continues, we see an order from Pharaoh to throw every Hebrew boy into the Nile River. And it was at that time that a woman, Jochebed, gave birth to a special little boy. And she decided to preserve this little boy's life by making a basket out of papyrus reeds and putting this basket that held the little boy into the Nile River. The boy's life was preserved. And he would grow up. And he would grow up to be the man that God would lead the Israelite out of Egypt 
and his name was Moses, another man of faith. This passage just had so many examples of faith. And one thing I noticed here is that God always honors faith. Always honors faith, especially when it's put on display in uncomfortable moments. It's scary, but he's on, Satan's on borrowed time. You got nothing to worry about. You got nothing to worry about. And so for us, as we turn to our third and final takeaway point this morning, is this. I'm stealing Craig, Pastor Craig Mallory's idea. Everyone has a basket. So the question is for you is this. What's in yours? What's in your basket? What act of faith is God calling you to this season to put in the basket? Where is God calling you into? Who is God calling you to step into the life to give them maybe a second chance or a third chance? Who are you making the basket for? What are you making the basket for? I know for me, having grown up in, in foster care system and having done some, I'll just put it this, this way, some stupid things throughout my life, there have been a few folks who have come into my life and put me in their basket and decided that on faith, they were going to give me a chance. It blows my mind. Because over time, as I do share my story, I had a man that came into my life. You know, I, I, I'm here because of them. I'm here because of those people. I am nowhere near perfect. To get that story, I am nowhere near perfect. I am far from it. But, but while I can name a few people, one that comes to mind is my dad. That is the man who came into my life in the eighth grade to become my dad. Because I, I didn't grow up with, with a father. He was in prison. I didn't grow up with a mom. I didn't grow up with parents. But the man who became my dad stepped out of his comfort zone and decided to give this rebellious kid a chance and he's still here to this day, still talking to me, even after all the speed bumps I gave him in life. For him, I was in his basket. What about you? Stepping out in faith and making the basket and asking God to put someone or something in that basket can be really, really scary. Can be really, really scary. There's just so much, so much uncertainty, so much unknown. But God honors faith. We just got to step out and be like, God, here I am. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm here. Here's my basket. Maybe in your basket is God calling you to missions. Maybe it's God calling you to step into an area of ministry that requires a sacrifice. Maybe it's God calling you to finally forgive and to make reparations. Maybe it's God calling you to write a book and to bring awareness on something super important to the church. Maybe it's God calling you to become foster parents. Maybe it's God calling you to spend more time with the types of people that you've always sort of avoided for whatever reason. Maybe it's God calling you to make the basket in the first place, and then we'll deal with it after. Maybe it's God calling you to look at depression in the face and saying, I'm going to get up out of bed tonight, today, this morning, and I'm going to trust that God's going to carry me through. It could be any number of a million different things that God is calling you to step out on faith on. It could be anything. 
And as I invite the worship team to come back up here to lead us into worship, let me say this. If you don't have a basket, if you don't have a basket, let's start off by making one. Stay at home like, God, I, I, I'm, I'm making my basket, doing all the, th- I, I don't make baskets, I don't even know where to begin, but I'm working on it. I'm going to surrender this basket to you and I'm going to step out on faith and I'm going to accept whatever mission that you give me. Bring that basket to, to Jesus. Say, Lord, I don't know what you're asking me to step out into faith on, but I am here and I am willing. We do this because when Jesus was nailed to the cross, breathed his last, resurrected from the grave, he put you, he put you in his basket because you were his mission. And still are. So let's make the basket, let's make the basket and extend the grace that was given to us. We live in a world that's too divided, that withholds too much grace. Let's counter that. Friends, we live in some of the most exciting times in church history, in Christian history. And there is a role for you. Let's commit to making our life sold out for Jesus. Let's put all of our chips into the center Because here's the truth. The life that you and I have is so short. It is so short. It's a parenthesis in the book of eternity. Don't cash in now. No, if we really believe in who Jesus says he is, then let's put some action into the belief. And let's do all that we can to share with others that the only way to be set free for eternity is through Jesus Christ alone. Yes, it may require a stepping out of faith in moments that are really difficult or uncomfortable, but you can do it. And when you get to those moments, when it's looking pretty uncertain ahead, because you will get to those moments, financial crisis, marriage problems, cancer, I want you to remember this, two things. Satan's on borrowed time. In the end, God's going to come back. Checkmate, Satan. We're done with this game. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being king of our lives. So we're here today at the church. We're asking you to give us the mission. We're asking you, what's in my basket? So give us the strength to step out in faith to proceed with the mission, to proclaim the good news to our schools, to our streets, our neighbors in this church. We're asking for that strength. Lord Jesus, thank you for putting us in your basket. So give us the strength to do so for someone else. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus.